Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. I want to tell you about something that has been bugging me lately. It's how I often feel when I hear a story about a celebrity describing their faith. Now, I hope this doesn't come across overly critical, but it seems like a lot of people, when asked about their faith, tend to offer pretty non-committal responses. Uh, Chris Pratt, when asked about his recent involvement in the church, said, I always feel like love tends to win out over fear. It's beautiful and nice, but not exactly a clear commitment to Jesus. Uh, The actor Tom Hanks, who also professes to be a Christian, when pressed, said recently, a part of my faith comes from the belief that there are miracles everywhere and there's a mystery to it all. Again, very nice, but not necessarily a resounding endorsement of Christianity. Or perhaps one of my favorites, recently movie actor Mark Wahlberg promoted a prayer app in an Instagram post by saying, hey all, Mark Wahlberg here, reminding you to pray up and be blessed. Now, don't don't get me wrong. I'm grateful that celebrities are talking about their faith and I've failed way more than I've got it right when talking about my faith. But when you listen closely, not many of them have much to say about Jesus. So today I wanna suggest that perhaps one of the reasons people are having a hard time outright claiming that they are Christians, is that Christianity seems to have a PR problem. In a Barna survey earlier this year, 42% of people with no faith say that the hypocrisy of Christian people causes them to doubt the Christian faith. In a 2022 poll conducted by Ipsos for the Episcopal Church of those who claimed no religious affiliation, over 50% said they would describe Christians as hypocritical, self-righteous, and judgmental. In a word, yikes. We have a PR problem. And on a personal level, I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to tell people, don't confuse Jesus with what you see in so many Christians. Yes, we have a PR problem. But you know, this isn't the first time Jesus or his followers have had a PR problem. Uh, Luke, the doctor and historian wrote about it this way. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. In first century Jewish culture, tax collectors were despised as traitors who worked on behalf of the Roman government. And sinners was a a, a broad category applied to people who were considered hopelessly irreligious. Now, it's interesting that our PR problem today is with what non-religious people think about religious people or Christians. But in Jesus' day, his PR problem was what religious people thought about non-religious people. Sadly, today, many people think of Christians as a lost cause. Whereas in Jesus' day, the so-called religious leaders thought that tax collectors and sinners were a lost cause. But you see, here's the good news. The good news is Jesus didn't see people like the religious leaders saw people. Jesus didn't think anyone was a lost cause. And if we're gonna overcome our PR problem, we need to see people like Jesus saw people and love people like Jesus loved people. I wanna remind us that Jesus said the reason he came to earth was to seek and to save the lost. And Luke, the doctor and historian, recounts three stories Jesus told to convey the urgency of his mission. The first is the story of the lost sheep, where just one sheep out of 100 was lost, and the shepherd leaves the 99 to find that one lost sheep. The second story is about a widow 
who lost a coin and, and turned her house upside down in search of that precious and valuable lost coin. And the last story is of a son who takes his father's inheritance, leaves home and wastes it all on wild living until he hits rock bottom and decides to return home. And when he does, he finds his father waiting for him with the most unexpected and undeserved loving and welcoming embrace. In each of these stories, Jesus reinforces the value of what is lost and how great the celebration is when what was lost is found. And you see, like Jesus, we too have a mission. As a matter of fact, his mission is our mission, to seek and to save the lost. But if we hope to fulfill this mission, we have got to go back to seeing people the way Jesus saw people and loving people the way Jesus loved people. (laughs) And one of the most obvious and frequent ways Jesus truly saw people and loved people was through sharing a meal. Sharing a meal. Uh, One of the most powerful stories of Jesus doing this takes place over in Matthew's account of Jesus' life. And what I want you to notice first is where Jesus' mission takes place. We pick up the story in Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. As Jesus went on from there. Now, this is interesting to me because... I think one of our challenges is that we often view our mission as something separate from everyday life. And so we might think church on Sunday is mission, or maybe small group on Wednesday night is mission, or maybe serving at a local food pantry, that's mission. I mean, when I was a kid in church, we would have missionaries from all over the world come and share these horror stories of what they experienced on the mission field. And all I could think of was, if that's what it means to be on mission, count me out. Now, thank God, some people do go to very difficult places, but Jesus shows us here that, see, we don't have to go anywhere to be on mission. When we look at Jesus' life, mission emerged from everyday life. As Matthew writes, it was as Jesus went on from there, as he was on the go. And also notice, who did Jesus see as he went on from there, as he was on the go? It says he saw a man. He saw a man. When Jesus saw Matthew, he simply saw a man. Is there any doubt that everyone else saw a tax collector, a traitor, a lost cause? As I said, in the first century Jewish culture, tax collectors were hated. They were despised. Now, If you're like me and you happen to live in the city of Chicago, when you think of a tax collector, you might think of those people in the yellow and orange vests that give parking tickets on behalf of the city revenue department. (laughs) When I see one of them, I have to work pretty hard to see a person because what I usually see is more money coming out of my pockets into the city coffers. But what I love is that Matthew wrote this account about himself. When everyone else saw him as a cheat and a traitor, he wrote that Jesus saw a man, a person. For Jesus, mission was part of everyday life as he saw people. How about the time when Jesus intervened when a crowd wanted to stone a woman caught in adultery? Jesus didn't see an adulteress. He saw a woman in some really tough circumstances. Or the time when Jesus touched and healed a man of his leprosy. Jesus didn't see a leper. He saw a man with a terminal disease. He saw someone no one else dared get close enough to see. And here, Matthew writes of his own encounter with Jesus. 
And he doesn't say that Jesus saw a cheater, a traitor, or even a tax collector. He says that Jesus saw a man, a person. And then Jesus says to this man, follow me, follow me. And he followed him just like that. Now, here's where the fun part of the story begins. If we first notice where the mission of Jesus takes place, we then notice that the mission of Jesus often centered around a meal. Look at verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Matthew throws a party for Jesus and there is food and likely a lot of very good food. In the ancient world, a guest of honor would almost always be thrown a banquet. The fact that Matthew was a tax collector meant he was probably wealthier than most with a house bigger than most and likely nicer food than most could afford. And so this would have been a very nice party. I mean, it's the kind of party you want to be invited to. Yet this party wasn't limited to buttoned down impressive crowds of people. No, they weren't the respectable ones. Matthew invites the outsiders. He invites people he knows best, his friends. He invites the people the religious leaders would have considered a lost cause. I absolutely love this picture because it's the picture of a a good meal with a, a surprising crowd of those you'd least expect to be in Jesus' company. And this picture of a meal leads to the final observation I want to make about Jesus. And it's that this was a meal and mission of mercy. The scene with Matthew ends like this. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You can almost hear the disdain in the voice. The religious leaders just don't understand the power of this meal. You see, they're way too concerned over who was invited. So Jesus responds, it is not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's the point. The mission of Jesus and the meals of Jesus ultimately remind us of the mercy of Jesus. Jesus did not come for those who are healthy, but for the sick. He did not come for those who are righteous, but sinners. And meals such as this one with Matthew and his friends remind us exactly why Jesus came. He came for those who considered themselves a lost cause. A friend of mine uh, has a neighbor whom he started talking to about his faith. And when the neighbor heard that my friend was a Christian, his neighbor said, oh, that's great for you, but Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with me. And my friend had what I thought was a great response. He said, well, you know what? The The fact that you think that means you're probably exactly the kind of person Jesus would want to spend all of his time with. See, Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he's not chasing down people who think they might be good enough to deserve him. He wants to share a meal with people who think he wouldn't want anything to do with them. All right, so what does it look like for us to live out what we see Jesus modeling here for us? Well, in this series, each week, we're focusing on one of five everyday ways to love our neighbors and change the world. They form an acrostic that spells the word bless, B-L-E-S-S. B is for begin with prayer. And I hope that you're praying for the eight people we ask you to list on the first Sunday of this series. L is for listen. 
Last week, we talked about how truly listening to people like Jesus listening to people is one of the most powerful ways we can love them. The E is for eat. We'll come back to that in a minute. The first S in bless is for serve. And the last S in bless is for story. Now, I want to talk about the E in bless, which is for eat. Uh, this is one of my favorite of the five. It is my favorite of the five. And I'm actually quite good at it. Thank you very much. But you see, folks, Jesus shared meals with people all the time. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus sharing meals with people. And I think it's somewhat because sharing a meal moves almost any relationship past acquaintance toward friendship faster than just about anything else we can do. Have you ever experienced that? You know, you share a meal with someone you'd have said you barely know, and then after that meal, it's like you're suddenly friends, right? It's just the way it seems to work. And what I love about sharing a meal is that you can do this and not add anything more to your already busy schedule. I mean, how many meals do you eat in a week? 21, three a day, seven days in a week? Just ask someone to join you for one or two meals each week. And just picture a world where people from all different walks of life, young, old, rich, poor, white, black, and every shade in between, are sitting together, talking to each other, listening to one another, and sharing life over a meal. That is a picture God wants to see. I love what author Henry Nouwen wrote about the power of eating together. He said, when we invite friends for a meal, we do much more than offer them food for their bodies. We offer friendship, fellowship, good conversation, intimacy, and closeness. I think you'll be amazed by the impact of a simple meal. You might just find yourself helping others eat their way into the kingdom of God. And remember, you don't have to do this alone. I mean, what if your small group started having parties or dinners once a month and you invited neighbors, coworkers, and friends? What if you skipped the Bible study and just hang out, eat, and party? I mean, that could be someone's first taste of your small group or of our church and of God. And for those of us who live with family, what if you invite someone to share a meal with your whole family? I know that could be a little scary. <laughs> In their book, Right Here, Right Now, our friends Alan Hirsch and Lance Ford write about the power of simply sharing a meal. They say this, sharing meals together is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. They even go on and as far to say that if every Christian family regularly invited a stranger into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. Change the world by eating together. <laughs> and I know some of you might be thinking, okay, I'm not great at hospitality and I'm certainly no cook. Hey, that's okay. Ask your friend or neighbor to go out to eat. I mean, I live in Chicago. I've got great options at just about any price and any place. And if you want to have someone in your home and you're not much of a cook, keep it simple, order in. Or maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm not an extrovert. Hosting a bunch of people is just kind of actually scary. Might be a few thoughts for you. First, find another friend who's more outgoing and tag team it. Second, keep it small and simple, just you and a couple of friends. And finally, remember the L in blesses for listen. Someone once said, if you want to win someone over, be more interested than interesting. Just ask questions and listen. Often the less you say, the better. And if you think you're too busy, remember what I said earlier. This is something you're already doing. We all eat. Just ask someone to join you in what you already have scheduled. I am fully confident that at the end of the day, 
you will say it was well worth whatever effort you put into it. You know, I, I remember the first time Lisa and I were invited into the home of one of our neighbors, Steve and Doug. Uh, we just felt like we belonged and they were so kind and hospitable. I remember when we were invited to a party with a, a bunch of parents from the school where our kids were enrolled. We felt wanted, included. I, I remember being an, an invited to a meal at a greasy spoon restaurant with a guy who spoke truth to me when I desperately needed it. I will never forget it. There is something profoundly spiritual and powerful about sharing a meal. So how about this? Which of the eight people you've been praying for could you text even right now and invite to share a meal this week? I mean, if you knew the only thing standing between a neighbor or a friend of yours and them finding their way back to God was you sharing a meal with them, would you do it? I think you would. And if you want a picture of what kind of a difference a meal could make, you don't have to look much further than Matthew himself. One moment of mission in everyday life, an invitation from Jesus to follow him led to a meal, a party at his house where Matthew experienced the mercy of Jesus and it changed everything for him. Matthew would not only go on to become one of Jesus' apostles and one of the early leaders of the church, history tells us that Matthew was a missionary to Ethiopia. He shared the good news of Jesus in the royal court of Ethiopia. But maybe even more amazing, the account of Jesus' life we are reading from this morning is, of course, the Gospel of Matthew. One meal with Jesus became the turning point of his entire life. What kind of difference could a meal make in the life of your friend? Let's pray. Father God, we are blown away when we look at the life of Jesus and how he loved people, how he truly saw them, and how he simply shared life-changing meals with them. God, help us do the same. Look for opportunities to share meals with the people we come across every day and know that when we show up and we share a meal, you show up too and amazing things can happen. We pray this in your name, amen. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Our mission is to help you find your way back to God. And by listening today, you've already taken your first step and we'd love to help you take a next step in your relationship with God, the church, and the world. It's how we're all embracing the flourishing life that Jesus talks about, a life we call U+. Visit communitychristian.org to take a next step, learn more, give generously, and plan your visit. We hope to see you on a Sunday soon.